You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Sunday night, we normally don't have Sunday night service, but this Sunday night we're going to have a special service, and I'm just believing God for some great things. So, amen. I'm looking forward to what God wants to do. Thank you, Brother Holloway, for being here. I know you're here, able to stop on your journeys to see family. Amen. But don't think it was an accident. And uh, we want you just to minister. We want you to take your liberty tonight. Amen. We're just we're just good church home folk tonight. Preach to us. Do whatever you want, whatever the Lord leads. Amen. Can we thank God one more time as the minister of the word comes tonight? Can we just thank God tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name? Thank you for your word. Let your anointing, God, prepare its way into our heart tonight, God, in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Give him a great big hand. Welcome back to CTK. Praise God. I know you've been standing for a few moments, but if you don't mind, just remain standing for a few more. I'm going to be going to Hebrews chapter 4, going to verse 14. So thankful to be here with all of you tonight. I'm thankful for what God did last night. Thankful for the body of Christ more now than ever. I'm so thankful for the church, and I'm so honored, humbled, and blessed to be a part of the church. So I'm thankful to be here with God's bride tonight. I love ministering to God's bride. It's terrifying, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I love ministering to God's bride. And the more I understand His majesty and the more acquainted I get with my humanity, the less I like preaching. (laughs) I'd rather just hide behind the pulpit and I wish God could just come down and just speak Himself. But I realize that He has chosen the foolishness of preaching. So the best I can do is humble myself to all of you made in His image. And I want to minister from His heart tonight. I feel virtue just keeps being pulled out of me. I feel that God is going to give some dominion to some people. I feel that the Lord is going to give some deliverance to some people. And I just want to be obedient to Him. And I also feel revelation boiling within me. I feel that God wants you to realize who you are. And that's what I feel is going to take place. I ask uh, this one request of you. In Genesis, when He spoke to Adam and Eve, He told them, He said, I want you to work and keep the garden. There's always been holy work involved with living for God. And that means that we don't simply just show up in His presence. There is godly work that is involved in being in His presence. So we can't ever say, hey, God, I'm here. Pour it out on me. He says, no, I want you to worship me. I want you to adore me. I want you to love on me. I want you to extol me. And there's work involved. So all I'm asking is that people made in his image would participate with him. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, going to verse 14, says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast then our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested, is what it says in the original Greek there, but was in all points tested as we are. But isn't this wonderful? He did it without sinning. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we approach him, he is looking at us and says, I have felt what you have felt. I have endured what you're being tested in. I came out victorious, and I want to fill you with the spirit of a victor so that you too can pass this test. And I'm not sitting here looking at you cruel and mean because I understand the test because I was tested as well. So we can approach him boldly knowing that he was in all manners tempted as we also have been tempted. I want to preach tonight the undisputed priest. We have a priest that's never been beat. And he is a priest that is for us. And I want to show you his heart, his vision, and what he wants to do in this place tonight. So can we do some holy work right now with lifting our hands? Can we lift up our voices? Can we talk to him? Can we praise him? Can we tell him how much we want him tonight? How much we are thankful to even be alive this evening in the midst of just so much social unrest and pandemics and everything in our world. We have this blessed opportunity. God, I'm here tonight 
tonight to praise you, not to preach. I'm here, Lord God, to minister to heaven, Lord God, as well as to your people. Lord, I don't want just a microphone and a message tonight. I want to be in your presence, God. I humble myself to you and to your people. I pray that you speak through me. Pick me up tonight and use me as a microphone and let them hear your voice from heaven through this vessel. God, I love you. I honor you. Whatever you choose to do tonight, I trust you and I'll give you the honor for it, God. In your name we praise. Now, can you give him a hand clap? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. If you tune into Genesis, you're going to find is this looks as if there was an aerial camera dollying over an arena called the Garden Dome, where this event is taking place called the Eden event. It's taking place and all the hosts of heaven have gathered together for the fight of the decade. Quickly, the aerial camera transitions, as the producer says over the mic, ready on chapter two. And as the screen goes to an overlay of a fighter named Adam, we begin to see all of his stats before us. And we're looking at this fighter who's about to step ring and be his debut fight. And he's going against an adversary. And we begin to read his stats off as we're reading Genesis, as if we were watching a debut fight. We see that he is mostly human and he is partly divine. And God chose to merge him to be a divine human. And he stands there and he is glorious and he is made in the image of God. The producer then speaks into his earpiece. He says, ready on chapter three, where the camera transitions to a ringside camera operator, where we hear the voice over coming from an announcer by the name of Moses. He begins to tell us in this corner, we've got the lean green garden keeping machine, the animal tamer himself, Adam, priest and king of the garden. Then we hear the ringside announcer speak over the screen. Tonight, humanity has got on his traditional pure white, glorious radiating pure light robe, and it's crusted in gold. And on the back of it, it says image of God. Tonight is his debut fight. We really have high expectations of this man going far this year. And we really think that he can go all the way if he just listens to his fundamental teaching from his coach on the sidelines. And we see on the sidelines, we see this divine God standing there and he's cheering on Adam and he's saying, just listen to what I told you. Just listen to the fundamental things that I have spoken to you while we were training. You've got everything that you need to take your adversary. And so we see him, he's in the corner and he's getting all amped up. And on the sideline, it's as if we can see the sideline commentators, the angelic, and they say, you know, Gabriel, Adam really looks healthy this season. I really think that if he taps into the coach, he'll really go all the way this year. And all of heaven goes wild as Adam comes into the ring. But then all of a sudden that ringside announcer also says, tonight we've also got another one in the ring. Tonight his adversary, this serpents, this this in this corner, this beast from the east, this rumble in the jungle, this trouble in paradise, the serpent, and everybody boos the serpent, and everybody's going crazy because we have all hope, and we're all expecting Adam to go all the way. And they hear the sideline speaking tonight. The serpent has got on his traditional robe of rebellion, crested in fire, and on the back it says, rebellion, wiser than all the beasts of the field. And his country of origin is put upon the stats on the screen as well. It says, cast down. That's all he's from. And so we see this and we see God behind Adam massaging his shoulder. He says, you can do this. You've got this. Just stick to what I've said. Just make sure that I'm the only one you're serving. Make sure that you stick to what I've been teaching you. You've only got one law. Stick to that. And Adam goes into the ring. He's amped up. And what the serpent never told humanity was the serpent never said, I've already been cast down. I'm only in this ring to intimidate you. So what I'll do is I won't even throw a punch. What I will do is I'll lie. All right. All right. And if I can get you beaten psychologically, then I can get you out of the ring. And sure enough, after humanity lost their debut fight, this glorious robe of royalty that would shine forth lifts 
off of them because we can read in Psalm that it says Adam was crowned with glory. That word crowned means clothed or surrounded. And in that moment, he lost his debut fight, that pure white garment that a victor would wear, that a priest would be walking into a ring with, lifts off of him. And the Lord looks at him and says, you are no longer divine. You have died a spiritual death here in this ring. You're just a human now. And not only are you just a human, but you've been marked by your adversary. And he puts upon the back of Adam the, the, the garments of a beast. He says, you've been marked by the beast, the adversary that you lost to. In fact, his diet and the thing that he ate while training for this fight was the grass from the ground. And cursed are you, Adam, you're going to eat from the grass of the ground the rest of your life. Adam in this moment was no longer divine. He was marked by a beast. One lost fight, and now humans are at the bottom of the loser's bracket. And it will now be a fight to get back to the Eden events in the Garden Dome. And one by one, as you peruse through your Bible, you're going to see these fights taking place. Cain got KO'd by jealousy, and God told him, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you. You must have dominion over the beast. And one by one, we see Lamech got KO'd by the spirit of murder. Noah got in the ring and lasted several rounds by having dominion over a bunch of beasts. And he finds favor with God. And we move up one onto another bracket. But his son, Ham, got KO'd by a filthy spirit in his father's tent one night. Nimrud gets KO'd for rebellion and idolatry. But Abram goes into the ring and he lasts 10 rounds. And on the 10th test, the Bible says that God tested him one last time. He says, offer me your son. And he goes up willingly and he says, I'm not going to lose this test today because there's no way I can lose my son because the Lord is the one who named me Avraham, which in Hebrew means father of a multitude. I have full faith in the name he gave me, so that means there's no way I can lose my son today. He goes up, he rears back that knife, and the Lord says, Father of a multitude, father of a multitude, don't take thy son, thy only son's life, for now I know. And Abraham in Hebrew responds, he says, Ha, Nani, which literally translates to, that's who I am. I believe in the name you've given me. And on him was put a coat of faith. Isaac was willing to be a sacrifice. And both Abraham and Isaac bring us up to the winner's bracket. Jacob proved he was a fighter. And even though he had a few knockdowns, he ultimately got humanity up another bracket on the leaderboard. God then sets out through Moses. He says, I want to build a gym. I want to build a place so holy that I can dwell with you. It'll be a little micro Eden that dwells in the wilderness. I want you to build me a habitation, a tabernacle. I want you to make it holy because I want to dwell with you. I want to teach you how to fight. I want to go back to the garden and I want to be there with you and I want to teach you how to overcome an adversary. I want to make you a priest because that's what I've called you to be from the very beginning. I've called you to be a priest. And so he does, he sets out and we begin to read about it as Moses comes down and he has this blueprints for a tabernacle. But before he gets the blueprint, Prince, we come to Exodus 19 and watch the tension that's taking place in the text. Exodus 19 and 5. It says, Now therefore, this is God speaking, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which shall you, you shall speak to the children of Israel. God looked at us. He says, you've been marked by a beast long enough. You've been wearing the hairy garments of a fall out of the garden. What I want to do now is I want to mark you, not with the mark of a beast. I want to give you the mark of a priest now. I want to elevate you back up the mountain of a holy presence where you do abide with me and you and I sit with one another. I want to give you the power to put the adversary under your foot, but I need you to come up to a mountain today. And so he tells Moses, says, consecrate the people for the next three days. And Moses does that. And watch what takes place right after this in Exodus 19, 16. After God tells them to consecrate themselves for three days, he tells them, he says, have no other gods before you serve me only. This is my covenant. This is what I'm asking you. This is my commandment. And they said, yes, God, we'll do that. You could tell they were in the gym. They were amped 
up. They were ready to go into the ring. And then all of a sudden, this takes place. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. I need to give you background and context. If you're following the datelines so far in the passage, you will find that this is 50 days after they've passed through the Red Sea. This is the day of Shavuot or Pentecost before it was even a calendar date. And here they're standing looking at a mountain and with expectation on the day of Pentecost before they even knew it was a thing. And the Bible says thunders and lightnings came down. However, the word for thunder in Hebrew is kolotz. That's the Hebrew word for languages. They looked up and they saw languages coming down and they said, oh my goodness, there's flashes of light. Of course, what do you expect when God shows up? Because in Genesis 1, when he showed up over darkness, he spoke his own name, Hiaur, and that's the literal three letters of his name, Yahweh. He spoke his name and light appeared. That's what happens when God shows up. And so here on the day of Pentecost, light shows up and there's languages falling in fire and all of this. And there was this dark cloud that settled over this mountain, all happening on the day of Pentecost. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain shook greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice. In the Hebrew, it says Moses opened his mouth and out of his mouth came the evidence of a voice is what it says. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And look at this. Moses went up. He participated in Pentecost before it was a thing. Remember, they said, we'll have no other gods before us. That day they decided, we don't want to do that. We're going to lose again. And they made themselves a graven image, and they bowed before that. Fun fact, on the day of Pentecost in Exodus 24, 3,000 people died by bowing down to a pagan image. You can't make this stuff up. You're supposed to read this and be thinking of Acts 2. Here's the conduct of a priest. He comes down with a towel. He said, this is what he expects of us priests. Have no gods before me. Make no idols. Don't carry my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet. And this is how the people responded in Exodus 20, verse 18. Watch this very closely. Now all the people witnessed the language the flashes of light, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, please don't fear. This is for all of us. He told me he wanted to make all of us priests. This isn't just for me. This is for all of you. And he's doing this to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. But nevertheless, the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Instead of becoming a nation of priests, they decided it's far better for us to become a nation with a priest. Instead of all of us getting this revelation that this promise that failed here on this mountain, God wanted all of us to go up to that mountain, not just Moses. This is for all of us. Rather than go and participate in that terrifying event, why don't you go and do it for me, pastor? Why don't you intercede, evangelists? Won't you war for us? Won't you pray for us? Won't you hear from God for us? Won't you talk to God for us? Won't you come and anoint my home? Won't you come to the hospital and lay hands on me? This was for every single human. And rather than becoming an entire nation of priests, they said, no, I'll tell you what, we'll just be bystanders. And right here, religion is born. I'm far, I'm far more comfortable with just having a man out in front that's doing it all, and we just follow him. Because when it all falls apart, we can blame him. They break two commandments by making an idol of an animal. 
being marked by a beast yet again. Right there, they're warring with a beast of the field, and they lost yet again and worshiping it. And because this sin, people died, 3,000 to be exact. All of this on the ancient day of Pentecost. And we go through the story. We begin perusing because we're looking for victors. We're looking for priests that will get it. The Levites are called forth by God, and he begins to put a glorious robe back on them. Go and do a study. Just go and Google it, the garments of the royal priesthood. They begin to put upon them this linen ephod, this beautiful white garment, because that's what Adam wore originally. I was talking to one of my Jewish teachers. I said, why did the garments of the priest look like this, Brother Romine? And he said, because in that ancient world, that's what the divine angels in heaven look like. And when they were going to the presence of God, they wanted to make sure they looked like divinity. So they put on themselves pure white garments. They would put a belt around them. They would pull it tight. And that white garment was righteousness. And he said that whatever we do, we need to make sure the belt pulls righteousness tight against our flesh. We don't want loose righteousness. We want tight righteousness. And they would put on them these beautiful stones because in that ancient world, they believed that the angelic would glisten and glow when the light would hit them. When they would go into the presence of God, it would be glistening in his presence. So they put stones all over their chest. And they would put these stones on their shoulders. And they would put the 12 names of Israel underneath it. That priest was had upon his shoulders the government of Israel. And he was carrying that government on him. It was the church. And he was carrying it into the holy place. But the last garment would be a turban put upon his head with a gold plate across the front. And right there, marked on the forehead of the man of God, it said this, holiness unto God. Because that's what it looks like to be marked by a priest. God was saying, I want you to put on divinity. I want you to practice this. This isn't the fulfillment yet, but this is what it's going to look like eventually. This is what it's eventually going to look like. This is just a practice. In fact, God said to the priest, this shall be a holy convocation unto you. That word convocation in Hebrew means dress rehearsal. I want you to rehearse this all the time because there's going to be a day when you don't wear that anymore. You're going to wear something else and you're going to be marked by a priest in the future. But I'm trying to bring this to everybody. But right now it seems as though only the Levites want it. The priests have dominion. Wouldn't you know it? They come to an altar and they have a dominion over animals. They're animal sacrifices right there. They would put their hand upon the head of the animal and the sin would transfer. And then they would slit the throat of the animal and they'd spill its blood and they would bring that atoning blood to the presence of God. We don't have time to talk about all of the victors in the Bible. All we know is that we're progressing towards yet another garden. We're looking for yet another Adam, another high priest. Hear this right now. You're supposed to read the Old Testament and be utterly disappointed. Sunday school, I love it, but we make heroes of men like David. We make heroes of men like Abraham. They had glimpses of moments where they succeeded, but ultimately they were absolute failures. Go and read it. You're supposed to be disappointed with the Old Testament, and we're supposed to end. This is how your Bible ends in the Old Testament, by the way. You get to a point, Nehemiah and Ezra is both one book in Hebrew. You get to a point where Nehemiah says, let's build a wall. And you're sitting there reading that like, wait a minute, I just read the prophets, and he said that he's going to build a kingdom with no wall so that all nations can come to it. Why are you building a wall, Nehemiah? He's like, because I want to bring back the traditions. And so he starts building the walls. And then Ezra comes into the walls. He says, we need a revival of the Torah. And he start, he's going ham on people, man. He's like pulling people's hair and all this stuff. Ezra's going crazy. And we see that this is all wonderful. But when we've already read the prophets, we're like, but I, wait, I thought Jeremiah said he was going to write his law upon our hearts. What are you guys doing? And then all of a sudden, they're like, let's have a revival. Let's build a temple. And they're trying to make Israel great again. And so they build the tabernacle, and they're doing all this. They're reinstating the law. They're building the walls. And then this is what some people say, oh, this isn't how it used to be. And right there, Old Testament's over. And you're sitting there thinking, that's it? That's, that's the end of humanity? That's the last fight? We lost. I thought this was an underdog story. I thought, we were gonna, I thought this was going to end better. And then all of a sudden, you hear the sound of a vulnerable baby crying. Nobody expected the victor to come in a manger. Nobody expected the victor to come through a virgin. Nobody expected this victor. We've been set up for disappointment the whole Bible. And then all of a sudden, a baby shows up, and an angel has the audacity to say, this is God with us. He's going to remove the sins from the world. And we're thinking to ourselves, if we've ever never read the Bible, we're reading it fresh. There's no way a baby can go into the ring. 
Out of the mouth of sucklings and babes, though, is what the prophet David would say. But we have to remember one pivotal prophetic thing that was uttered to us in the book of Isaiah 61, verse 6. It says, but you, he's talking to us. Not just the Jews, he's speaking to all nations right here. He's talking to every Gentile, every man, every woman, every child, every ethnicity. He says, you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you, hear this, not the great conference preachers of the Lord. They're not going to say you're the most wealthy. You shall be called the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you will have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. All of this was pushing us to the main event. Jesus, that baby, begins to grow. He begins to rise in the favor of men and of God, the Word of God says. And look at this in Mark 1. He's about to make his debut. He's been training for all these years. He was training in the temple at 12 years old, and he declared to his mother, I'm about my father's business. That's my whole purpose of being here. And we saw then we've got a fighter. We've got high hopes for this man named Jesus. He's already crested in glory. On his name, he's got salvation written. We've got high expectations. I really think if he listens and he does what he's been here to do, he could really go all the way. He could really save humanity. And so all of heaven goes wild for this man named Jesus. And here he's about to make his debut run into the ring. And watch what Mark says. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heaven's parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Why? Because Jesus was the tree and the dove was the one that knows and that wrath was now descending and we were entering into a new dispensation. There was no floodwaters anymore. There's a new covenant. Jesus was the rainbow. He was the tree. He was the dove. The dove found a tree that day and said, yep, the waters have abated. There's no more wrath. Sin is about to meet its match. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And watch this. Immediately the spirits drove him into the wilderness. Stop. Why would you do that? That's where the scapegoat at the Day of Atonement was sent. If you understand Jewish history, on the Day of Atonement, they would sacrifice a lamb, and then they would send a goat out into the wilderness. And they believed that that goat was going out into the domain of the demonic. And here, our victor, our champion, the one we have hopes in, the one on his back says salvation. They're sending him into the wilderness with the adversary. Oh, I knew we were setting up for disappointment all over again. The Old Testament's still going on. The, new, the Old Testament's no good. Well, I'm just, I'm so disappointed with the whole Bible. It's going to have another loss. And look at this. Not, that does not happen. This is the first time that the scapegoat went out and came back. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tested by Satan, and was with the wild beast. <laughs> that thing that you've been marked by, humanity. That thing that's been labeling you, humanity. That depression that's put its name on your back. That anxiety, that fear, whatever it may be, it's been on your back. I'm going to address that. And I'm not just going to go into the wilderness. I'm going to go and be victorious and come back. He went toe-to-toe with our adversary. He did something that no one has done yet. And the angels ministered to him. And he came out and he gave one devastating blow to the adversary by never lifting a hand all he did was speak scripture every single time. And that adversary fled, the Bible said, until he could find another opportunity. Because he said, I got to get out of the ring. I got to go recondition. I got to change my diet. I got to change my tactic. I'm going to have to watch some of these fightings. I'm going to have to analyze and see how Jesus operates so that I can go back into the ring a little more skilled than I was this time. Jesus comes out victorious in one fight. This fight, this debut fight, he comes out and he says, okay, I think I can go find myself some victors now. And he does. He finds 12 potential victors. He finds some disciples who would bear his image and would carry his name. And they would do what the Israelites failed to do in Exodus 19. They would participate in Pentecost. After the fight, this debut fight, and Jesus laying hands on people, everywhere there's a miracle, it says he was moved with compassion because he looked at them and he says, oh, I felt that pain. 
I'm the high priest. I'm being moved by your infirmities. I was in the wilderness and I was tested of every every test. I feel what you're feeling. Woman who's been dealing with an issue of blood for 12 years, you're healed. I have felt the throes of death. That 12-year-old daughter, raise up. I don't want you to die. That's not what my image looks like. I've looked at the demoniac who's been throwing himself in the fire. I have felt the weight of that. You're not supposed to be that way. And one by one. And notice every devil cried out to him and said, you've beat us already. Cast us into the beast. That's where we like to live. We like to live where the beast lives. And so all of this, Jesus goes, and a sideline interviewer comes by. His name is Nicodemus, and he says, I need to find out how this guy is so, how good, how how is he so good in the ring? How does he do all these works? How does he do all these miracles? And let me go at night because I don't want anybody else to see me talking to him. And this interviewer goes, and he sits down, and he's he's publishing from a, a famous magazine in their day, Pharisees. He says, hey, I've got some questions. We want to, rate, we want to have a, a whole spread about you. You've been fighting. You've been winning so many battles. I want to hear, what's your diet? What do you do? How do you have so many victories? How do you do these things? He says, no one can do these things, he says, unless God is with him. How are you so victorious? And Jesus answers a little odd. Jesus doesn't seem to really like magazine spreads because he's so humble. And he just looks at him. He says, most assuredly, I tell you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he sits there, he's dumbfounded. He's like, that's not what I asked you. You've obviously never done this before. You're, you're, a little, you're a little green behind the gills, Jesus. This is your first magazine spread. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to publish this. I don't want to make you look bad. But this is going to be read by a lot of people someday. Don't blow it, Jesus. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus looks at him, he says, these profound words that you and I miss in English, but are profound in the Greek language. He looks at him. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You got to understand the Greek word for flesh is sarks. Its definition is animal-like behavior. He says, huh, that which is born of the animal is an animal. I can't marry someone who's been marked by a beast. But that which is born of the Spirit, that's another thing, though. I'm coming to marry a bride, and according to my law in Leviticus, it's an abomination for a man to lie with the beast, as he does with a man or a woman. So I can't marry you in this condition, Nicodemus, so I'm going to have to transform. You're going to have to be born all over again. You've been born. You've been born into sin. You've been shapen by iniquity. You've been marked by a beast since the garden. I need to mark you with another mark. I need to put upon you the mark of a priest. I need to clothe you. You've been practicing this for thousands of years, what it looks like to be a priest. That's just been a practice. I need to put the reality upon you. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John used that word. And then he goes and he expounds of what it means to be born of the Spirit. He says, look around you. You remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they failed? What happened? Some of you Bible trivia nerds in here. What happened when Adam and Eve failed? The presence of God. It says the voice of God, explicitly, came blowing in the cool of the day. That word cool of the day, Brother Romine, is the Hebrew word ruach. It's wind or spirit. And that word voice is kolot. It's language. The language of God came blowing in wind, looking for a failure. And he says, oh, I'm not intimidated by chaos. That's what the world was before I got here. I can order that. I'm looking for confession. What did you do, Adam? And they confessed, I ate. His spirit is always looking for somebody who's been previously marked by something that he never approved of. That's what his spirit blows through every church service looking for. And in that moment, his spirit was blowing in wind. And so Jesus, knowing all of this history, this is what Jesus says. He's thinking of Elijah, how he was not in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the wind. He was in the still small Hebrew word is kolot. And he looks at him and he says, look around you. Can you see the wind? No, nobody knows where it comes from, where it goes. The only way we know the wind exists is by the sound we hear thereof. 
So it is of everyone who is born again of the Spirit. And if you've been reading the Bible, you've been tracking this throughout the entire Old Testament. And though we've been disappointed with humanity, though we've been disappointed with religious views, we have been absolutely set up to look for the wind to blow yet again. We're looking for another Pentecost. We were disappointed with the first one because they were all supposed to be priests, but 3,000 died. And we're expecting something better now because we're finally starting to see a victor going into the ring. He leaves that and he starts to prepare himself for the main event. He begins to pray all night prayer meetings. He begins to fast. He begins to sit with the disciples. He begins to look up in the face of humanity. He would analyze every eye, every hair. He would look at the eye color and he'd say, I'm dying for that eye color right there. He would look at the different ethnicities and say, I'm dying for that Samaritan over there. And he would begin to analyze. And he would sit with him and he would take it all in as God in flesh. He says, I want to sit with humans as long as I can because this is the only chance I get until I rapture them out. Let me enjoy every second I've got with you because I'm about to send you something that's going to bring you back and I know I'm about to go. He was preparing for the main event. Fight two begins to happen. It goes throughout all the heavenly realms, all throughout hell. All knows there's a main fight. Another garden is about to happen. This main event took place in Gethsemane at another garden dome. Jesus walks in, the bell rings, and Jesus never raises a fist. He hits his knee and he begins to intercede on our behalf. He begins to pray and he looked at Peter before going to the garden and he says, I'm going to pray for you. The devil wants you. He wants to sift you as wheat, but I'm going to start praying for you because I want you to win next. I'm not the only victor in the world. I'm going to have multiple victors. I've designed my humans to put the beast under their feet and I'm going to show them how. And he does. He goes into the garden. He hits his knees. He begins to pray and with one critical blow, he says, the way I'm going to win this last fight is I'm going to let the enemy beat on me. That's how I win. And you are all looking at him and saying, you don't win a fight that way, Jesus. He says, this is the only way to win this last fight. I need to be beaten for your iniquities. I need to be bruised. I need to be hurt. I need to be bloodied so that you can win later. Because unless I die, I can't send the victor that I am to you. And he takes it all upon him. And we're looking at him and we're saying, oh, I knew we were going to be disappointed by following this new Adam. I knew we were going to be disappointed. The whole Bible has been a disappointment. And here it is yet again. And this is exactly what the disciples were fighting with. They were saying, this isn't how you become king. This isn't how we get Rome out. This isn't how we make Israel great again. This isn't how we fix all the problems in our world. You have to live. And Jesus looks at them and said, the only way I win this last fight is if I take a beating. And I'll willingly do it for you. The undisputed priest goes to hell because he said, I can't fight this last fight here on earth. So what I'll do is I'll go down to hell. And I'll go and I'll take one critical blow to the adversary. And I'll take from him every weapon he's got. The only weapon he's ever had was death. That's the only thing he could ever hover over your head. Because when you died, you had no hope. And so what I'll do is I'll take his only weapon from him. And he does. He goes into hell and he's victorious. He comes back up three days later, totally victorious. He comes out of the grave and he is clothed in glory. He is our righteous high priest. He was crowned with glory from on high. He was glistening and glowing with the divinity of God that he was. And he walks upon us. And yet again, this is what he does. He does the same thing in the man Jesus that he did in the garden when he was God. He comes looking for failure failures because he's not intimidated by our failures that's what he's been drawn to that's what pulled him to earth was chaos and emptiness so what's what what do you expect from this God but to look for people who have chaotic lives and they're empty this is who he's drawn to he didn't come for the well he came for the sick in Luke 24 46 then he said to them thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the anointed one the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance 
and remission of sins should be preached in my name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are going to be witnesses of these things. Behold, watch this, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry he in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. I hate that that word is endued because the Greek is clothed. He said, wait there. There's going to be another day. I died on the cross on Passover. I passed you over from one dispensation to the next. What I need you to do is go and wait in Jerusalem for the other Pentecost that's coming. And when you go there and you wait and you pray, this is what's going to happen. The garment of a victor is going to fall on you. You're going to be clothed from on high. Do you understand what we are? I'm not just fascinated with the Holy Ghost because it's a little golden ticket to heaven. The Holy Ghost means that I've been clothed with the coat of a victor, of someone who is a champion, who has done what I absolutely cannot do. A.J. Holloway can't do a thing in this flesh. I'm hyper aware of my humanity. I'm hyper aware of my fallacy. And so what it's caused me to do is it humbles myself and raise my hands to a God and say, God, I cannot win. And God looks at me and says, but I can. And I've always wanted to partner with humans. Just put me on and you will be victorious. In Acts 2, the vision of God from Exodus 19 finally takes place. 120 people became priests by putting on Jesus. And it started with a rushing mighty wind. He said, my wind's coming back and the language is coming. I'm not in the wind. I'm not in the fire that's setting on your head. I'm in the language that's about to come out of your mouth. And you're about to be clothed with the clothes of a preacher, a victor, a priest. I'm going to mark you on your forehead. You're no longer marked with a beast because you offered your body a living sacrifice and now I'm going to make you holy and acceptable unto God because you did your reasonable service and I'm going to remove the garment of a beast and put upon your forehead holy unto God because I put my Holy Spirit upon you. 120 victors come out preaching, testifying. They begin to tell the glory of God. And watch what Peter says. He is eaten up with this history. He's eaten up with what he has read in his history books. To this day, they tell the story on the day of Pentecost from Exodus 19. Every year in Jerusalem, they retell the dying of 3,000 people. Israel to this day is still looking for a better Pentecost where 3,000 don't die. And right here, because they rejected the New Testament, Peter stood up and said, repent, let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the removal of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And watch what he says next. This promise, hear this closely, we missed it the first time. You decided to be a nation with a priest rather than to be a nation of priests. He looks at them and says, this promise is unto you to your children. This promises to all that are far off, even as the many and many as our Lord our God shall call. Don't miss the mountain today. You thought a burning bush was cool for Moses. You thought a burning mountain was cool for Moses. How about 120 little mountains burning? How about 3,000 burning? And in that moment, they said, no, we want to be marked with a priest. I don't want to be marked by a beast anymore. Make me into your image. And all of this begins to happen. And we see this in 1 Peter 2. The same preacher who was so eat up with this message, he stands before a church and he says, you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Musicians come. When Jesus returns... The Bible says he's coming on a white horse and he's going to have a quiver on his back with no arrows. You understand why? The shots have already been fired. He's already won this thing. It's done. That means the depression that you fight with has already been shot to death. The anxiety that you battle with has already been annihilated. Everything that you battle with, your hidden sins, your past, your problems, it's already been annihilated. But here we sit in the presence of a victorious, mighty God. 
and we don't have a full revelation of it. We say, yeah, that's good. That's for him, though. This is for everyone in this room. When I got a revelation of what my Savior did for me, it didn't produce a preacher. It produced somebody who stands into a pulpit every Sunday and Wednesday, and I just testify. Because do you understand that almost four years ago, this person, this fallible man, this broken man and his wife, nightly laid on the floor weeping in the fetal position. There were nights where I begged God to kill me. There were nights where thoughts of suicide went through my mind. There were many days of depression and anxiety. I still have been fighting. It's only been recently that the Lord has delivered me from the spirit of anxiety. I've been fighting with it. And I'm not diminishing getting help and seeing counselors. Please do that. That's wise. But I was fighting with it. I was battling with it. And then the Lord gave me a revelation. He says, I've already beaten that. All I had to do was stand up and say, God, I can't fight this battle. I can't even bring my son back. I don't have enough power. I fought myself because I prayed over my house that was burning. And I said, Lord, you did it for the three Hebrew boys. You can do it for my three-year-old boy. And when he didn't, I said, God, I have no business preaching because how can I testify of your power when I didn't even see it? What if I told you I did? Because here standing in front of you is a passionate, Holy Ghost-filled man of God because I decided that I'm nothing in his presence and I need the presence of a victor to completely clothe me. I don't go fighting devils. I just walk in the presence of God and devils say we can't touch him. He's already beaten us. But you're going to have to get a revelation of who you are in order to walk in that. He's already won it. So the way I fight my battles is I set my affections on things above, not on things of this earth. While everybody else is worrying about a stinking four-inch piece of cloth over their mouth, who should wear them and who shouldn't? While everybody else is fighting over shots, who should get them and who shouldn't? While everybody else is trembling over presidents and governors, I've set my mind on heaven. I'm not worried about this trash. I've got my eyes set on glory and bringing the only thing that's going to be raptured, and that's people. The only thing I'm looking at is his presence and his image. I want to reach everybody that I can. I've got a three-year-old son in heaven that's waiting on his father, and I'm not going to miss it with the help of my high priest. So daily, I'm going to mark myself with the mark of God. So here's my question to you. Have you been more obsessed with CNN and Fox? then what is clothing you right now? You have everything you need to walk out into that city and to look at somebody who is fearful, who is broken, who doesn't know what's going to happen next. Our world is in dire straits, and it's waiting on a victorious church to step out of a building into their city, clothed with glory from on high and walk amongst their peers. You should not be afraid to lift up your hands and lows and start praying. We're too dignified nowadays. You need to walk into Starbucks and look at somebody and say, the Lord just spoke something to me, but you're just, you're too smart nowadays. It's time to get spiritual. I am not afraid to be the weirdo. I'll go into Walmart and I'll be the weirdest guy in there and I'll look at them and I've had moments where I'll say, thus saith the word of God. The Lord just gave me something from you. And you would be sitting by me and you'd probably be embarrassed until you saw tears running down that cashier's cheeks. I've been in Target parking lots where I looked at somebody. I got in my car and the Lord said, no, no, I'm reaching her. My spirit's looking for a failure. And I got out of my car and I walked to this woman. She's holding two bags of groceries. And I looked at her and said, ma'am, the Lord just gave me a word for you. She dropped her bags and lifted her hands and began to sob. She said, I prayed this morning that God would send me somebody. I laid hands on her right there in the parking lot. The Lord filled her with the Holy Ghost. 
I've been by streams of water fishing, and the Lord prompt me that there's a man over there who needs to hear God loves him. Go pray with him. And we begin to pray. God fills him with the Holy Ghost. I've walked out and checked my mail, and somebody come to me and said, what do I feel on you? And I, being a spiritual weirdo, look at them and say, I just came out of my prayer time. That's probably what you're feeling. He said, would you pray for me? Lord, filled him with the Holy Ghost on my sidewalk. But here we sit in the presence of God, the greatest victor, giving everything we need. We don't even want to worship him. I admonish you right now. Lift up your hands. The Lord's going to anoint somebody in here. This whole time, I felt virtue being pulled out of my soul. There's been somebody in here who has been feeling like, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this. I don't know how I'm going to win this. I don't know how I'm going to be a victor. And the Lord is sending you a message from heaven right now, and he's telling you, you have absolutely everything you need. In fact, this is what I want to admonish you to do. I want you to run to these altars. I want you to lift up holy hands, and I want you to sacrifice the flesh upon the altar. I wouldn't be afraid of it. Run to these altars. Run to these altars. It's all right. It's all right. Please don't sit in the presence of God, in the presence of a victor. Here's what we're going to do. If you're in here and you're battling things you've done in your past and it just seems to keep following you, nobody looking around because I don't like gossipers in the church. Nobody looking around, every eye closed. If you're in here and you've been fighting something that's been plaguing you from your past and every time you make a few steps forward, you feel like that thing just creeps up in your memory and you don't feel like you're good enough all over again, I just want you to wave your hands right now. Just wave them high. The Lord is going to touch you. He's going to give you a revelation that when you begin to pray, you begin to speak in tongues. That's all the affirmation you need right there. He's saying, no, I've covered that. I'm not even thinking of that anymore. And it's going to be proof through the language. If you're in here and you've been battling fear because of the current society we're living in, and you just don't know what's coming next, and it's crippling to you, I just want you to wave your hands. The Lord is going to put upon you a boldness and a confidence. I want you to cry out with your voice right now. I want I want you to lift it up before God and say, God, I want that on me. You clothe me with victory. You clothe me with everything that I need. And then lift up that voice of praise unto God with full faith and assurance. If you've been battling anxieties, if you've been battling sicknesses, if you don't know what's coming next, if your faith seems to be waning, you're not a failure. You're not a failure in here tonight. You're just going through the throes of humanity. This is what it feels like to be a human. I want everyone in the room to lift up your hands now. And I want every person to lift up your voice. If you're here tonight and you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in other tongues, the Lord wants you more than anything on this planet. I want you to seek him with everything you've got in your soul right now. I want you to seek him with everything. This world needs a church clothed with glory, but it needs a church that's convinced that they're victorious. I stand as witness to you of the power of God, of what he can do through somebody who says, clothe me with it. Lord, by the authority of your word, the dominion you've given me in the spirits, Lord, I speak directly to the spirit of depression, and I demand it and rebuke it in your name to leave right now. Give that child of God a break in this very instance so that they can get glory from on high. Lord, by the authority of your word and the dominion you've given to me, I speak directly to anxiety, and I command it to leave in this name, Jesus. Lord, right now, I speak against sickness right now. I speak against it in your name, Lord. I believe that you're going to touch your people and you're going to give them the revelation of victory. You may be in the ring. You may be in the fight of your life right now, but you don't even have to lift your gloves. He's already done it. Come on, if you're already clothed with that confidence, I want you to go pray with somebody. I want you to go lay hands on somebody. If you've gotten that revelation, if you're still here and you're fighting, the Lord's going to send some people. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. We're going to go and we're going to hold people up. We're going to bear you one another's burdens right now. You have everything you need in him.
Lord, convince your church how powerful they are. For your word says in 1 Thessalonians that the abomination of desolation cannot come until he is removed out of the way. Lord, your church is what's holding back sin. Your church is a powerful entity. Lord, your church is what's upon your shoulders. We're your governments. Lord, I pray right now that we get full revelation of how powerful we are, not because of us, but because of what we're clothed with. We have glory. We walk in divinity. Thank you.